Hi everyone, welcome back to Magic Books. This is Ariella, and today I'll be reading another story from the book Chicken Soup for the Soul. I hope this story brings a smile to your face today and maybe some hope and inspiration. It starts like this. Within walking distance of my Manhattan apartment, but also light years away, there is a part of New York called Spanish Harlem. In many ways, it is a third world country. Infant and maternal mortality rates are about the same as in, say, Bangladesh, and average male life expectancy is even shorter. These facts it shares with the rest of Harlem. Yet here, many people are also separated from the more affluent parts of the city by language. When all of this is combined with the invisibility in the media, the condescension of many teachers and police who work in this third world country but wouldn't dream of living here, and textbooks that have little to do with their lives, the lesson for kids is clear. They are less than people who live only a few blocks away. At a junior high that rises from a barren patch of concrete playgrounds, and metal fences on East 101st Street, Bill Hall teaches the usual English classes plus English as a second language to students who arrive directly from Puerto Rico, Central and South America, even Pakistan and Hong Kong. Those kids are faced with a new culture, strange rules, a tough neighborhood, and parents who may be feeling just as lost as they are. Bill Hall is faced with them. While looking for an interest to bind one such group together and help them to learn English at the same time, Bill noticed someone in the neighborhood carrying a chessboard. As a chess player himself, he knew this game crossed many cultural boundaries, so he got permission from a very skeptical principal to start a chess club after school. Few of the girls came. Never having seen women playing chess, they assumed this game wasn't for them, and without even a female teacher as a role model, those few who did come gradually dropped out. Some of the boys stayed away, too. Chess wasn't the kind of game that made you popular in this neighborhood, but about a dozen remained to learn the basics. Their friends made fun of them for staying after school, and some parents thought that chess was a waste of time, since it wouldn't help them get a job, but still, they kept coming. Bill was giving these boys something rare in their lives, the wholehearted attention of someone who believed in them. Gradually, their skills at both chess and English improved. As they got more expert at the game, Bill took them to chess matches in schools outside Spanish Harlem. Because he paid for their subway fares and pizza dinners, no small thing on his teacher's salary, the boys knew he cared. They began to trust this middle-aged white man a little more. To help them become more independent, Bill asked each boy to captain one event and to handle all travel and preparation for it. Gradually, even when Bill wasn't around, the boys began to assume responsibility for each other, to coach those who were lagging behind, to share personal problems, and to explain to each other's parents why chess wasn't such a waste of time after all. Gradually, too, this new sense of competence carried over in their classrooms and their grades began to improve. As they became better students and chess players, Bill Hall's dreams for them grew. With a little money supplied by the Manhattan Chess Club, he took them to the state finals in Syracuse. What had been 12 disparate, isolated, often passive, shutdown kids had now become a team with their own chosen name, the Royal Knights. 
After finishing third in their own state, they were eligible for the junior high school finals in California. By now, however, even Bill's own colleagues were giving him reasons why he shouldn't be spending so much time and effort. In real life, those ghetto kids would never get past New Jersey. Why raise funds to fly them across the country and make them more dissatisfied with their lives? Nonetheless, Bill raised money for tickets to California. In that national competition, they finished 17th out of 109 teams. By now, chess had become a subject of school interest, if only because it led to trips. On one of their days at a New York chess club, the team members met a young girl from the Soviet Union who was the women's world champion. Even Bill was floored by the idea that two of his kids came up with. If this girl could come all the way from Russia, why couldn't the Royal Knights go there? After all, it was the chess capital of the world and the scholastic chess friendship games were coming up. Though no US players their age had ever entered these games, officials in Bill's school district rallied around the idea. So did a couple of the corporations he approached for travel money. Of course, no one thought his team could win, but that wasn't the goal. The trip itself would widen the boys' horizons, Bill argued. When Pepsi-Cola came up with a 20,000 check, Bill began to realize that this crazy dream was going to come true. They boarded the plane for the first leg of their trip to Russia as official representatives of the country from which they had felt so strange only a few months before. But as veterans of Spanish Harlan, they also made very clear that they were representing their own neighborhood. On the back of their satin athletic jackets was emblazoned not USA, but the Royal Knights. Once they were in Moscow, however, their confidence began to falter. The experience and deliberate style of their Soviet opponents were something they had never previously encountered. Finally, one of the knights broke the spell by playing a Soviet grandmaster in his 30s to a draw in a simulation match. The Russians weren't invincible after all, just people like them. After that, the Nates won about half their matches and even discovered a homegrown advantage in the special event of speed chess. Unlike the Soviet players who had been taught that slowness and deliberation were virtues, the Knights had a street smart style that made them both fast and accurate. By the time Bill and his team got to Leningrad to take on the toughest part of their competition, the boys were feeling good again. Though they had been selected at random for their need to learn English, not for any talent at chess, and though they had been playing for only a few months, they won one match and achieved a draw in another. When the Knights got back to New York, they were convinced they could do anything. It was a conviction they would need. A few months later, when I went to their junior high school club room, Bill Hall, a big gentleman who rarely gets angry, was furious about a recent confrontation between not one of the Puerto Rican team members and a white teacher. As Bill urged the boy to explain to me, he had done so well on a test that the teacher, thinking he had cheated, made him take the test over. When the boy did well a second time, the teacher seemed less pleased than annoyed to have been proven wrong. If this had been a school in a different neighborhood, said Bill, none of this would have happened. It was the kind of classroom bias that these boys had been internalizing. 
But now, I had the self-esteem to resist. Maybe the teacher was just jealous, the boy said, cheerfully. I mean, we put the school on the map. And so they had. Their danger high school auditorium had just been chosen by a Soviet dance troupe as their site of a New York performance. Every principal in the school district was asking for a chess program, and local television and newspaper had interviewed the Royal Knights. Now that their junior high graduation was just weeks away, bids from various high schools with programs for gifted kids were floating in, even one from a high school in California. Though all the boys were worried about their upcoming separation, it was the other team members who persuaded the boy who got that invitation to accept it. We told him to go for it. As one said, we promised to write him every week, said another. Actually, said a third, we'll all plan to stay in touch for life. With career plans that included law, accounting, teaching, computer science, futures they wouldn't have thought possible before, there was no telling what continuing surprises they might share at reunions of this team that had become its own support group and family. What were they doing, I asked, before Bill Hall and chess playing came into their lives? There was a very long silence. Hanging out in the street and feeling like shit, said one boy, who now wants to become a lawyer. Taking lunch money from younger kids and a few drugs now and then, admitted another. Just lying on my bed, reading comics, and getting yelled at by my father from being lazy, said a third. Was there anything in their school books that made a difference? Not until Mr. Hall thought we were smart, explained one to the nods of the others. And then we were. Well, that's the end of this beautiful, inspiring story. I hope you loved it as much as I did. And thank you so much for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.